said my mic was on. On there you go. It's surprise, surprise. <laughs> I hit the green. Anyway, again, this is Father Larry Richards, and you have tuned in to the Anchored in Hope podcast. And again, it's our time just to bring hope to the world, to our families, to ourselves, because that's what Christ is. He is hope that no matter how bad it gets, God is always present and he loves us and he gives us the hope which is forever. So this is a time for you to call, uh, not call in, but uh, write in questions and that here. And then uh, I have a lot that are written in and we'll deal with them as we can. So let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Great God of love and mercy, send your Holy Spirit upon us. Lead us, guide us, help us to know your will and to do your will. For Father, we beg you these things in Jesus' name, amen. Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us. Good Saint Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Okay, sorry about that. I hit the green uh, unmute button, but I guess I was supposed to hit the red button at the same time. One of these days, this is all going to flow so easily, and we won't even know what to do. It'll be like, oh, it's so perfect. What are you going to do? So we'll sit there and get there one of these days. Anyway, I've been on the road a lot. Yesterday and the day before, I was in Savannah, Georgia, speaking of Legatus, a group there, a very good group, and then... Uh, Tomorrow I fly up to Traverse City, Michigan to go and do a men's conference. So if you're a man and you're up in Traverse City or in the area up in Michigan, the Upper Peninsula there, I will be there Saturday. I'm the only speaker. I fly back Saturday afternoon. So uh, the more men there, the, the, the better it will be. I've been up there many times. I love it. It's one of my favorite places. So is Savannah. Savannah is beautiful. It was hot and humid down there, but it was uh, great. I always will take the hot anytime over cold. I can't take cold weather. It drives me crazy. Anyway, so there we go. So let's just go right in. One of the things I want to encourage, I'm going to be putting out a video here very soon, but my parish needs a um, full-time music director. And when I talk about a full-time music director, my parish, of course, uh, some of you get to watch our Mass on Sunday and different things. We have a lot in contemporary. We have two Masses that are contemporary Masses and two ma Masses that are traditional. So we really, our main thing is contemporary, but we also have the organ, one of the most beautiful organs, old organs. It's an old teller organ. And so we need someone full-time that can coordinate all those masses, do all the weddings, do all the funerals, do everything that we need to take us to the next level. So I'm looking for someone who's young and has some experience and again someone who can lead and worship often you get or not nobody watches us or see this but often you get music people that are great but they're too filled with themselves that they don't want they want to either uh, entertain people but they don't want to lead people in worship I really need you know my main job is to lead people in worship of course but that's the job of all of us especially a director of music, that they lead people in worship. So that's what we're looking for. So if you know somebody that's interested or if you're interested, send your resume to me this next week. I have to make a decision by next week. Just send it to my parish at St. Joseph Church, uh, Bread of Life Community. Just St. Joseph Church will get there, 147 West 24th Street, Erie, Pennsylvania, 16502. 
That's again, St. Joseph Church, 147 West 24th Street, Erie, Pennsylvania, 16502. Or you can email it to me at fatherlarryrichards at gmail.com. Again, father, just F-R-L-A-R-R-Y-R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S at gmail.com. Uh, pray about it. You have to move to Erie, Pennsylvania, of course, which is beautiful in the summer. It's really cold in the winter, but to offer that up for Jesus, what more could you want? So again, uh, this is what we're looking for. And uh, so if you're interested or know someone, please pass this on to everyone you know. Thank you very much. Okay, I know there was no sound. Let's get on. So if you want me to answer any of your questions live, you type them in under the comments, and then we will get to you as soon as you can. I can. Good afternoon to all. Father Larry, do you know of a Catholic ministry or foundation that offers tele or online spiritual direction? I do not, and if they did, I would not encourage it. You need someone who gets to know you, you meet with on a monthly basis, uh, and it's more than just asking questions. I mean, to get a spiritual director means that you're placing yourself under their authority so they can get you into heaven. So like with my directees, uh, most of them are seminarians or they're all seminarians or going to be seminarians. I'm always, um, the challenges they have to listen to me. So if I tell them, I want you to go and do a holy hour, then they're going to do an holy hour or they're not going to have me as a spiritual director anymore. You know, it's not a pick and choose. Well, let me hear what you have to think. That's why you should wait before you find a spiritual director. You make sure they're a prayerful person. You make sure that they know God and they're listening to God every day of their lives. And then they can help you, but you can't pick and choose. In fact, if your director tells you to do something and you don't want to do it, you should get a new director. You know, because you can't sit there and just use this person to to agree with you. Your spiritual director, if he's worth his or her salt, is going to challenge you to become a saint. So he or her is going to tell you things that you about yourself you don't want to know and direct you to do things you don't want to do, all to make you holy. It's a, it, just as an aside, most people in the spiritual life today like it as long as Jesus gives them what they want. But Jesus says, no one can be my disciple unless you do what? Deny your very self. Pick up your cross daily and walk in my footsteps, which always goes through Calvary to resurrection. We want resurrection without Calvary. We want to do things our way and ask God to bless it. That just isn't the way spiritual direction or the Christian life should be lived. It's always about dying to self to grow in more and more in God's will. So that's why a lot of people don't have spiritual directors because they like doing things their way instead of doing things God's way. And it's important that, uh, so if you do that, you make sure that uh, it's one-on-one and you get to spend at least an hour a month with your spiritual director. Okay, so let's go on. Do-do-do-do-do. Can you please explain the different levels of heaven, hell, and purgatory? Um <laughs> If you want to read a book on that, you could read Teresa Avila's book, and she talks a little bit about it. Now, uh, Dante talks about the levels of purgatory, heaven, and hell. To tell you the honest to goodness truth, I don't see how anybody can do it. Because the first thing, the only thing, the the teaching of the church is that purgatory exists, and it's only a good thing to pray for the dead. So we can't give you levels there. The same with heaven. You know, heaven is... uh, 
where we have the beatific vision where God loves us and we love him and we love forever. So again, when it comes to different levels, um, I don't think there is any. And the same with hell. You know, you're in hell. Hell means separation from God forever. So the different levels, all the things have been poetic imagery or, you know, levels to explain different things. But all of that is theological opinion. It's not dogma of the church. You know, it used to be you, the spiritual levels that, well, if you're a priest, you're higher than the laity. And that was taught. And if you're a religious priest, you're higher than a diocesan. And if you're a hermit, you're at the very top of the religious life. That's all garbage. Sorry. Now, some people are going to say, well, Father, it says so and so and so and so. Well, let me tell you something. The highest level of the spiritual life is when you and I do the will of God. So if God calls me to be a diocesan, a priest, or he calls me to get married, or he calls me to be single, as long as I am doing God's holy will for my life, that's the highest level I can go. And so if he makes people, oh, but if they're a hermit over there, they get a higher place in heaven, then why don't I decide to be a hermit, even if it's not God's will, so I can get a higher place in heaven. You see, we make and we focus on these realities to think, oh, I can get, years ago, I was listening to a radio show, or watching a TV show, and there was this very wealthy man, and he was talking about uh, being a saint. And so the woman who was interviewing him said, uh, so why do you want to be a saint? And he goes, no, 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 no. I just don't want to be any saint. I want to be a great saint. And I'm thinking, hey, you just missed that one because the greatest saint would be the most humble saint. So that would be the reality. Well, that's why when I'm talking to people, or they're, again, in spirit's direction, I say, your desire shouldn't be reaching a high place of heaven. Your desire and your only desire should be doing God's holy will for you, period. So let's say you want to be a priest, but God doesn't want you to be a priest. For you to be a priest could be sinful because you purposely did what you wanted to do instead of what God wanted to do. Let's say God wants you to be married with 10 kids, but you decide, no, I'm going to be single all my life. Well, God will let you do that because God is a God of love, but that's not what you were created for. We should have one purpose in life, all of us, to know God's will and to live it. And that means every day in your prayer, you must be listening to God. I just don't buy all these things that some people teach and they say, oh no, there's different levels. And that's nice. I want one level, the will of almighty God in my life. And if that puts me in the lowest place of heaven, okay, but then that's what God wants of me. But I'm telling you, that's not the way God works. In spite of all the theological opinions, I disagree with them. Now, if it comes to these great saints and me, who would be right and who would be wrong? Well, probably I'm the one wrong, of course. But in my heart of hearts, you know, I've really come in these last uh, couple years anyway, that my experience of God in prayer has always been a great God of great love. The more I get to know him, the more I get to know his love and how loving he is. People often, without knowledge of God, like the way I used to preach was all because I'd read uh, different saints' lives and different things, and of course they all disagree on many things. Two prime examples of uh, contemporaries would be St. Francis of Assisi and St. Dominic. Huh? St. Francis didn't want his uh, uh, 
priests and the brothers to have great knowledge because he thought it puffed them up. And yet Dominic's was very much, he wanted them to have great knowledge to be able to preach and study and do all those things. Both of them are right. Both of them, for if you're a member of that order, then that's what you're called to do. And that's an oversimplification of what I just said. But again, Francis was called to be a saint as God called Francis to be a saint. Dominic was called to be a saint as God called Dominic to be a saint. Larry Richards is called to be a saint, not like Francis and not like Dominic, but as Larry Richards. The same with you. These people can help you and give you guidelines along the way. But ultimately, you must listen to God. You must know God. Again, the teaching of the church, who made me, God made me. Why did God make me? To know him, to love him, and serve him. If you just read the lives of the saints, you're going to know about God through someone else. That's nice. It'll get you on the road, but that shouldn't be where you end. That should lead you to get to know God yourself. And then you spend time with him and you listen to him. The truth is always going to be the same, but how we reflect the truth will be different. I do it as a diocesan priest. Other people do it as married with 10 kids. Other people do it as a single person. Other people do it as a bishop. Other people do it in different ways. The same truth is manifested, but in different ways to the people he speaks to and with. Our job is to truly get to know God. So one of the first things I want to say to everyone who's listening today is I want you to really seek your heart and be honest with yourself. Do you know God? Do you know him intimately? And one of the things we begin with is like this past Sunday, the second reading on the Feast of the Holy Trinity it says that we have a spirit within us that cries out, Abba. So that's what the Holy Word of God says. And that's the best way to get to know God as he is, is through his word, especially the New Testament. Because you have to always remember, the Old Testament always has to be read with the view of the New Testament there. Huh? So you don't get stuck in just all that stuff without the fullness of the grace of Jesus dying on the cross. Some people love to f- just quote the Old Testament, but you got to remember Jesus had not yet died for sin in the Old Testament. It's the same God, but God appeases his own judgment and his own justice by Jesus dying on the cross. So you got to remember that. So you got to make sure that you're praying and listening to God in the word, but also listening to him in prayer. And instead of just saying a bunch of words, it could be uh, just saying words, you know, ritualistic, is to really pray. And so the word of God says, I want you, this is what God, so if God came to you and says, this is the way I want you to pray, besides the Lord's prayer, which I'll talk about in a second. But God says to you, okay, this is the way I want you to start when you pray. Call me Abba. Now think about it. God is the greatest mystery out there. Beyond all of our, all our HUD knowledge, anything we can do, God is always more, always more, always more. And yet this God, beyond all the stars, beyond the universe, wants you and me, when we enter into prayer, to call him Abba, Papa, Father, Daddy. He wants us to be this intimate with him. But a lot of us will just start and pray prayers, which are important. But again, the prayer, which is the prayer of God himself, is the Lord's prayer. 
And even when we say that, if we just go through the motions and say it fast to get it through, we miss the whole thing. We need to let the Spirit of the living God pray that prayer inside of us. And that's why he can say, Father, Abba, Father. Because now we're saying the actual prayer of Jesus. And so that's the most important prayer. All the other prayers should get you as like a, a springboard to help you to go into your own intimacy with God. But so the question again comes down to, do you know God? Do you know him? Like you know your husband, your wife, your, your uh, uh, best friend, your girlfriend, your boyfriend. Do you know God intimately? If not, you got to spend more time with him and you got to be still. Now don't tell me, Father, it's hard for me to be still. Join the crowd. Do it anyway. Pick up your cross to get to know God. Silence is so important. Reading the scriptures is so important. Reading the saints are important too, but again, as a springboard. Don't imitate only what they did because, again, like one of my favorite books growing up was Thomas Kempis's The Imitation of Christ. Huh? And so I read that book every day, every day, every day, every day. Now, the problem is, is he was a monk speaking to monks. Here, I was going to be at that time a layperson or even a diocesan priest, and I'm taking the theology of a monk speaking to monks and trying to apply it to my life. It didn't always fit because it's two entirely different lives. I'm not taking away in any way the Thomas Kempis uh, uh, imitation of Christ. It's still the second most selling book next to the Bible. Huh? And it's an important reality. But everything Thomas Kempis writes about, he writes using his own mind. Like when Jesus speaks, that's him speaking. You know, it's kind of like that uh, Jesus talking or Jesus speaking, that woman wrote book, you know. That's nice, but it's still not word of God. And so it's important we get there. Even I remember when I was in seminary and I was talking about Thomas Kempis, Thomas Kempis, Thomas Kempis. He's not a saint, you know. You know why he wasn't a saint? Because when they dug up his body, like they have to exhume you for uh, canonization, there were nail marks on the top of his casket. And so they always thought... Well, they didn't think. They knew he was buried alive, and he dug. He was trying to dig out of the grave, and so they thought he might have despaired at the end, so he was never canonized. I remember when I first heard that, I'm going, well, who wouldn't try to dig themselves out of the grave if you were buried? But again, no. All the saints are giving different perspectives on the same truth of God, which is beyond exhaustion, beyond mystery. And so God wants you to know him. It has to still be in truth. But how does he want you to follow him? And it all comes down with knowing him intimately. So I would encourage you, if you do not start your prayers with the word Abba, breathe and say Abba before you say your rose or your divine mercy chaplet. Remember, let it get you into relationship that you are a beloved son or a beloved daughter, and God wants you to call him Abba. That's what the Word of God says. So you do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. You set up the relationship, and now you talk to him, and now you listen to him. Then, of course, you can use prayers, of course. But you got to make sure that you're not doing all the talking. You're not just saying other people's prayers. You're listening so God can tell you what he created you for today. If you have another day of life, 
because it's because God has another thing for you to do. Every day you're not dead. It's because God has a particular will for you today. That's why you're alive. So your job and my job is to find out what that is and do it. Okay? I know that wasn't part of the original question. We went deeper, but anyway, let's go on. We'll take one here. My husband seems to believe the word full is bad and should not be spoken, stemming from the verse below verse thoughts. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister is subject to uh, judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother, Raka, is is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Again, this word here it's used, it's a translation. I remember Jesus spoke in Aramaic and then it was written in the Greek and now this is translated and then from the Greek it was translated to the Latin and Latin later into English, the King James Version. But uh, this might be closer to that, but I don't know what the original Greek was. I'm not a scripture scholar. But what I can tell you to do is take that verse and put it in Google and say commentary. And you're going to find about 20 different commentaries for that verse. And that's exactly what I would do, Lauren. <laughs> so you did, oh, excuse me. I'd put that in uh, Google and look it up, and there'll be a bunch of different words for that. But I can't explain that because I'm not that good at, uh, at the Greek. Now, of course, if you really, really want to go deep, I still say it. You go to Father Mitch Pacwa on EWTN on his show. He knows everything. So <laughs> talk to Father Mitch, but you can also do that on online okay not only father just put it in google and like i say you're going to find a lot okay how should one use blessed salt is it like using holy water exactly when i have blessed salt which you don't see as much anymore it used to be to make holy water you also needed salt and you'd mix the blessed salt and the blessed holy water and it used to be again this is all pre-vatican too you would exercise the salt do an exorcism on the salt and do an exorcism on the holy water before you bless them and then you would mix them together we just don't do that anymore. Uh, you still can. I mean, I when I when I got a house, I had a fix-up house I bought uh, 11, 12 years ago uh, off of Lake Erie and where I'm at, and I'm about ready to sell it now. It's just, it's, I, I can't get out there anymore. But anyway, the first thing I did the day I got the house is I took blessed salt and I went all the way around my property line and blessed the whole land and blessed my house and everything that would go on there that it would be a place dedicated to God. And so you can use it for that type of stuff. You don't use it to put it in your, uh, uh, you know, on top of your food <laughs> to make it taste better. It's used for r- religious uh, uh, rituals and it, it should not be used. It could be sacrilegious to use it any other way. Same with holy water. You don't go and drink holy water. You use it for rituals to bless things and bless yourself. Okay. So, can someone still go to heaven if a mental illness has clouded their thoughts and thus caused them to not love others? Again, God is the God of love and mercy. It's so funny how, you know, priests, bishops, everybody else, oh, that person can't go to heaven. Nowhere has the church ever, ever, ever said anyone's went to hell. We say who's in heaven, that's called canonization process. But we never, ever, ever say this person's in hell. Again, if you want to read John Paul II, the Great, we talked about this last week, but his book, Crossing the Threshold of Hope, says that we know that hell exists, but we don't know if anyone's there. Isn't that something? And then he says, even Judas 
we can't tell from the scriptures that Judas would be in hell. So, if Jesus, who is God, is the one who sends people to heaven and hell, if he can sit there and he doesn't make any, and through the church does not pronounce anyone ever into hell, we should never despair for anybody's salvation. As much as great priests who make things black and white says, no, 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 if you're like this, you will be in hell forever. Now, again, sometimes I say things like that for effect. Like I say, like the, uh, uh, I uh, wrote a chapter of a book for the year of mercy, and it was about taking care of the poor. And so the opening line of the chapter was, we must take care of the poor or be damned. Now, that got everybody's attention. Because objectively, you could go to hell. Objectively, you commit one mortal sin and you die, you could go to hell. But again, since we uh, don't know the, st- the status of a person, used to be the church thought that if you committed suicide, you automatically go to hell. The church said, nah, we don't know that. Why? Because you don't know what was going through the person's mind. Or let's say they do have a mental issue and they commit suicide. Well, they don't have full consent. Remember what's necessary to commit a mortal sin. Serious matter, full knowledge, full consent of the will. So if you have mental illness, you don't have full consent of the will. So we just got to be, we got to watch the way we judge others. And not even maliciously, just objectively. We can judge actions, but we don't know if a person, that's why we can never tell a person they're in mortal sin. We can say they did a serious sin, but we don't know if they have full knowledge and we don't know if they have full consent of the will. You just don't know unless you're the priest here in the confession or you're the person that did it. But even if you have mental illness, you still might not know because of mental illness. So again, always think about God, that this God of love who created us out of nothing and keeps us into existence by his love alone, that he can work it out. Again, the hope for me, always comes down to when God told Adam and Eve, if you do this, you will die. They did it, and they died. And then God fixed it, right? He says, these whom I love, I don't want them separated from me forever. I did not, one of the uh, readings of the saints says, I did not create any of my people for hell. God doesn't create any soul for hell. He didn't create a Satan for hell. Satan chose it. And so he says, how do I fix this? God says, I know I will become one of them and I will die in their place. I will fulfill my own justice. So though, even though God said, if you do this, you will die, God fixed it and raised us to eternal life. See how God is? God, the greatest thing, you know, the reason I never just come out and say, because Our Lady of Fatima says people go to hell like snowflakes in a snowstorm. Our Lady of Fatima still is not official teaching of the church, but that's why I'm always strong when I preach, because I want to make sure everybody gets to heaven. I want to tell them the, e, the, 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 not the easiest way, the, the most straightforward way, and the most straightforward way is the gospel from today. When someone came and asked Jesus today in Mark's gospel, you know, what's the greatest commandment or the first commandment? He said, this is the first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. The second is like it. The guy didn't ask for the second, but Jesus gave it anyway to show they can't be separated. The second is like, like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
And so here he does. So, and he goes, oh, you're right, uh, Jesus, in saying that. And, he, and Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom. To love God and to love others. That's what keeps us focused. That's what kn- we know that we're like God now. We're like God because we love, because God is love. Now, again, that's not tiptoeing through the tulips. No one that knows me knows I, I don't tiptoe through the tulips. But to give away our life for others is what we must do. And I struggle with it every day, every day, every day, every day. I often, and you've heard me say it before, I easily love God. I can do my holy hour. I can do what he wants, da, da, da. I struggle with loving others because of all my issues. <laughs> but that's the reality. But I can never make peace with myself and just say what well, doesn't matter. Just keep doing what I'm doing. Nope, I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. God has a purpose with me and he wants me to grow. He wants me to love him more. He wants me to love others more. So we all do that to the best of our ability. And if we're doing that, seeking to love God above all things, you know, one of the earliest books I ever read when I went to seminary was a quote from Augustine. And it was St. Francis de Sales who wrote it. And it said, love God and do as you please. I remember thinking, what? Does that have to do is love God and do what you please? And so St. Augustine said that line. And so I read it. He goes, if you truly love God, you'll do everything he wants. So it can be, of course, you're going to love others because that's his commandment. Of course, you're going to stay pure because that's what he wants you to do. You're going to do all these things if you truly love God. Okay? So let's go here again. Okay. Why do we call priests father? St. Paul was the first one to call priests father. Uh, He says, am I not your father who begot you? Now again, Protestants and Catholics, different ones will go back and says, call no man father when Jesus said that. Again, he did not mean priests. They didn't call priests. Well, maybe there was some tradition it did. uh, Priest father in those days. They called him rabbi or teacher and that. But then Jesus says, call no man teacher, call no man father. Uh, and there was one other one. But anyway, but we, don't, we still call teachers teachers. And the reason he says call no man father, he wasn't talking about priests. He was talking about the guy who begot you that was intimate with your mother. That's not your dad. Like when I do baptisms, I often will say, we all know that Joe here is not the father of this baby. And everybody goes, I knew it. And make the poor girl blush. The true father of every child is God. And so when Jesus says, call no man father, he means not even the guy who begot you is your dad. God is your dad. And that's why we have to, it always points to God. But later on, Paul said, am I not your father who begot you? Main, I gave you spiritual life. So the reason we call priests father is because when you were baptized, they gave you spiritual rebirth, eternal rebirth. They feed you, they take care of you, and all those things, they mold you, they protect you, they do all these things through their own prayers. So that's why we call them father. But we, they never take the place of God to father. They're like St. Joseph. Jesus called Joseph father, even though it wasn't truly his real father. His real father was God. And so, but the man who represented him on earth was Joseph. The priests represent him as best we can, so that's why we call them. There's an old tradition again. And again, if you want a more explicit, go to Catholic Answers, just catholic.net, catholic.com, and 
that question's been answered a thousand times, and it can go in great, greater, greater depths than what I just did. Okay, let's go back to some of these questions. Father, my kids and I want to sponsor kids who need help. Do you have an organization I can contact? Thanks. I have, uh, for many years, there are three organizations I use. One is called, and look them up on the internet and you'll be able to find out more. One is Haiti 180. Haiti, you know, like the country, Haiti 180. Sean Forrest runs that. It's a great place. The other is is, um, um, Mary's Meals. And Mary's Meals take care of children uh, and they feed them and they uh, make sure they're educated. So they're feeding them spiritually, they're feeding them intellectually, and they're feeding them physically. Mary's Meals is a great uh, organization. Another one I've done with many years is Unbound. And Unbound, it used to be called uh, Christian uh, uh, Catholic uh, Children uh, children and Adults, CMLA, not CMLA, anyway, but it's called Unbound now. And they're an organization, too, that you can adopt one child. I have a kid right now named Joseph who I send money to every month. Uh, and so, but those are the three organizations that I support and that take care of the poor. Haiti 180, Mary's Meals, and Unbound. Go online and look at those three things and find whichever. I support all three of them uh, uh, every month and so, but you can do what you will, but those are the three I support. Okay. Can you explain why the Catholic Church teaches that the Virgin Mary remained without sin throughout her life? I'm a Protestant Christian and I struggle with that concept. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but listen, the reason why is because that first of all, we believe in the Immaculate Conception. So she was conceived without original sin. And so if we uh, have no original sin, then it'd be easier not to sin at all. All of us have been born into original sin. But what does it mean that she was born without original sin? First of all, it had to be Jesus who was going to get his flesh from Mary. He could not take tradition holds. He could not take on sinful flesh. So the moment that she was conceived, God the Father took what Jesus did on the cross and placed that on her. Now, this is called grace. Grace is giving to someone something good. It's mercy that doesn't deserve it. None of us deserves grace. So when we are saved, we all believe we're saved by grace. Now, we're saved by grace when we're baptized. We give our lives to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God chose Mary before she was conceived to be the mother of her, his son. So by grace, by what Jesus did, because remember we talked about before, God's in an eternal now. So Jesus is dying on the cross now. Jesus is resurrecting now. Jesus is being born now. The world is ending now. The world is being created now. Everything's now according to God. But we have to live through time. So Mary, because she was going to take Jesus was going to take his flesh from her. God chose her to be the mother of God. So at the moment she was conceived in the womb of her mother, Anne, tradition holds, she was preserved of original sin. But that's why she still says, God, my Savior, because God saved her at the moment of her conception. And then free from sin her whole life because of no original sin, her will was so conformed to the will of God that's why she, tradition holds she never sinned. 
That's why when God came to her through the angel Gabriel and says, will you become the mother of God? She said, fiat, let it be done to me. So her whole life, she only wanted to do God's will. So if all of us only did God's will, none of us would sin. But the problem is all of us were born with concupiscence, which Mary did not have. Concupiscence is uh, that tendency to sin inside of us. So that's why we all have that selfishness inside of us. Often when I'm going to bed at night, I'm thinking, I am the most selfish individual ever. Lord, there is so much of me in me. Increase my love for you and your people. Increase my love for you and your people. But there's still in my personality and everything else. I, I was sitting there thinking, oh, I can't even tell you. It just gets to be tiring. Anyway, uh, Mary was preserved by God for her son and then preserved that throughout her life. Again, deeper detail, go to catholic.com uh, or call in to Catholic Answers. They love to spend lots of time in history and the scriptures that support that and the church fathers and why we believe that and what year it was proclaimed. I'm not that good. So I can only tell you in general. Okay, next here. Father, have you ever met Mother Angelica in person? No, I did not. I think we'd have got along quite well because um, she was, uh, I'm a lot like her and she's a lot like me. Um, she didn't care what people thought or different things. So, but no, I never had a chance to meet her. When I, when I was at the network, she was already in a coma. And uh, I would have loved to have met her, though. I always had great respect for her. Okay. Um, I, pray your, I pray your life to Jesus was also a change to the Holy Spirit and God. Well, I really speaking all three when I do pray. Of course you pray to all three because there's only one God. And it's good, though, to, um, you know, whoever you feel most comfortable with or drawn to pray with, sometimes I'm just praying to the Father. Often I'll just sit there and say, oh, Father, help me. Or like if I get stressed, like today, I am stressed. You know, <laughs> I see my shrink right after, but I'm like, I've had anxiety all day. Why? Because I've been on the road and I go back on the road. I have six positions at my parish that are open that I have to fulfill. I have to fill in the next couple of weeks. I have a new priest coming as an assistant in the next couple of weeks. I have a new deacon that just came. We're still in the, there's a thousand things going on in my life. And so when I'm praying, I'm trying to center, but then I'm in prayer and I'm at peace. And then afterwards, I think I'm the God of the universe again. And I have to make sure that, okay, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And then God, I'll sit there and go, Abba. And then he reminds me, I'm in charge of your life. I'm in charge of your parish. I'm in charge of all these positions. You do what you do, and I'll do what I do. And so now I can trust. And like I put in the bulletin this past week, uh, God has a plan for all these things. But the problem is he hasn't shared it with me yet. You know, so it's kind of like, okay, I'm trusting God. Have you ever been in this position where you know God's going to make all things work together for good? That's his promise, but you're still anxious about how that's going to happen. So that's where I'm at. So it's kind of like uh, the best way is I keep saying Abba, or I'll say, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. And it gets all that off my shoulders. I always love, you know, John the 23rd when he was Pope, he one day sat there and he was real anxious about something before he went to bed. And he sat there and says, oh, I have to talk about the, I have to talk with this to the Pope tomorrow. Then he realized, oh, I'm the Pope. And he says, okay, God, I'm putting this in your hands. I can't do it. So again, it's just part of those realities. In our humanity, we all struggle. 
But God loves when we're like children and we go, God, I can't do this. Can you help? He goes, of course I can. I was just asking, waiting for you to ask. So ask, go to your father who loves you. He loves me. He'll take care of us. All the things that are going on in our life, he's already been there. He knows how it's going to work. And we got to trust. Okay. Hi, Father. Before Jesus died for us, where did the dead people go? It says they went to Sheol. Sheol is the abode of the dead. Um, you know, so it was like a waiting place, if you will. And again, you want to read a great thing, go to the officer readings on the on Holy Saturday where it talks about when Jesus died and he goes to Sheol or, or hell, you know, the same, the dirtiness of all that. He goes to where everybody was and he sets them free. And he says, I am your son, but I am your savior, he says to Adam, right? And so it's just, it's a glorious thing. Um, again, always think the best of God. Think about like, I always think I am a miserable sinner, and yet I would always do what's best for everybody if I have the power. So God is a hundred billion times, hundred trillion times infinity better than me. And if I would do everything in my power to get people to heaven, how much more does God do that? God does everything in his power as God to save us. That's why he sent Jesus to die for our sins. So we can trust him. Trust him. Do the best you can do. And then surrender the spirit of God inside of you and he'll take you even farther. But your salvation is still by grace, by what God has done for you, not what you have done for God. And when you know that and trust that, you can have some great peace. If you think you got to do it yourself, you're going to be filled with anxiety, and more so, you're going to be filled with fear. And God does not want you to live in fear. Again, go to yesterday's reading. God has not brought you into a thing of slavery and to fear, but he has brought you into adoption that cries out, Abba, Father. See, fear is, brings you into slavery. So if you're afraid, you're always a slave. But when you learn to trust that the God of the universe loves you and he wants you to be with him forever, now you can cry out, Abba. Are you worthy? Nope. Am I worthy? Nope. But that's what he asks of us. And so we do it because he asked. Because we want to please him, right? Let's hope. Okay. Yes, I'm going to do a Eucharistic conference talk this Saturday. It's about the importance of daily mass. You can go. It's a free talk at the uh, virtual conferences. You can go to our website. It's all over the thing. It's a free talk uh, that you can listen to. There's a lot better speakers than me. I think there's 40 speakers, and you can pick and choose which ones you want. So I have a 30-minute talk about the importance of going to daily mass why we should go to daily mass so if you're interested it's free you can go to virtual catholic go to our website uh, the reason for our hope.org it's all over our web pages and it's all over uh, if you just go to virtual catholic conferences you'll find that out and it's on it's for corpus christi okay do you have any words of encouragement or advice to help with disruptive toddlers during mass 
It's been a struggle since returning to Mass. Let kids be kids, is what I say. Like at my parish, I have at all the pews, it says, uh, parents, your children are welcome. They might be disruptive. Now, if they get too disruptive, where they're taking people away from the Eucharist, then just walk out. We have them walk out to the vestibule and keep them there until they settle down. But again, like I'm not, they, years ago, my parishioners asked me to build a, uh, a cry room. I said, absolutely not. Because in cry rooms, no one gets to go to mass. You know, kids are playing around, screaming. You're trying to hold on your kids. You can't. You can't pay attention at all at mass. So, first of all, young kids. I mean, the church even allows you to miss mass on Sunday for the ch- care of children. You know, mom begged that we're a family. So sometimes families are messy. Uh, I, let me strike that. Always families are messy, and so. You know, I, I, I've said it, I've heard it years ago, and I say it to my parish all the time. If no one's crying, the church is dying, huh? that we need children in our church, especially now. You know, we're down 20% in the United States in these last 10 years. That's without COVID, 20%. And it's hard when people just come and they're thinking of rituals. So again, my biggest thing has been we have to remind people what church is about. It's about family. We're coming together as a family. We can pray anywhere. We can go to daily mass if that's the thing. But Sunday's about family. We are a family. So be patient. You know, uh, when your kids are crazy, if they're too crazy, take them out, but then bring them back. It's okay. Hopefully it's okay in your parish. If it's not okay in your parish, find a parish where it is okay. Kids are kids. And they have to learn just like anything else. You can discipline them. You don't hit them or anything, but just say, shh. Or pray for them. Uh, and just like people ask us at our parish that they could move up. So the first three pews we reserved for kids so they can be closer to what's going on. So some, And that worked for us. Uh, right now we don't have as many kids at our parish. Um, and we're, you know, hopefully growing. We have a new assistant coming, and he's a young guy. Only been ordained three years. Great guy. Uh, I'm very excited that uh, the Lord's taken us in a totally uh, new direction for all the things that are changing. And so there's anxiety, but there's also great joy and hope that where he's going to be taking us. So never be embarrassed by your kids either. Just again, just try to keep a balance. If they get too disruptive, then take them out till they can get better. But uh, Kids are always welcome to be kids at every church because it's their church, too. Okay. Do, 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 do. My daughter has broken all contact with all family and friends seven months ago. I pray, fast, pray God will. Rosary, divine mercy, using her name as you teach. Is there anything else I can do? <laughs> You're doing it. Now all you have to do is trust. But even when I say that, like I've always, everybody I've ever put in the Blessed Mother's arms, I always get them back. But not when you want Remember St. Monica, and that's another thing you can do, is go to St. Monica and ask her intercession. She prayed for 20 years, they say, for Augustine before he came back. You've been praying for seven months, so hopefully you don't have to pray for 20 years, but you can ask her to intercede. That Again, God loves your daughter more than you do. Believe that or not. Think about it. He loves her more, and he wants her home more than you do. So put her in the Blessed Mother's arms, pray and fast for her, and then just every time you get anxious, Jesus, I trust in you. The only caveat is that your daughter has free will. God will not go against her free will. 
He won't force her home. Like he doesn't force people to go to heaven. That's not who God is. So we just have to keep praying and trusting that he'll make her life miserable until she decides she wants to come home. And that's not forcing, that's just saying, okay, you want to experience life without me? Here it is. Here's life without me. I'll give you what I want. And that's the deepest, I'll give you what you want. And that's really the deepest uh, misery we can have on this earth. But again, keep praying and trusting. Uh, But you're doing everything else right, but now you just got to be patient that God's going to do it in his time, not in your time. And I know that's hard. Do I know that's hard? Okay. Father Larry, I am confused. Join the crowd. Now I have heard from two sources that we are only required to go to confession once a year if we are guilty of mortal sin. That's the official teaching of the church. Yes. What kind of rule is that? That rule sounds like God can send us to hell twice if we fail to confess our mortal sins within a year. So according to the church, what happens if a person in mortal sin goes over a year without confessing it? He can't possibly be in any more trouble with God. (laughs) Again, the church says we must confess mortal sins once a year to make sure we're dealing with sin in our life. The great practice is doing it once a month. But if a person isn't in relationship with God, even if they have no mortal sins, if they're doing things their way and they don't go to church, again, this isn't about what's the least I have to do to get to heaven or tell me the commandments I have to live. It's like the thing today. If you're in a relationship with God and the day you die, God looks at you and says, I'm going to give you what you love the most forever. And that should be that's you, Jesus, because you lived for him. The rules in the church are there to keep us at least focused in that direction. But again, you can go through a whole year or two without mortal sin. And that's why the church also teaches you can go through years without mortal sin. Come on, years and years and years and years and years and years and years without committing a mortal sin. But venial sins... We commit a lot, but the church teaches that every Mass, beginning of Mass, if we repent, our venial sins are forgiven. And then it just reminds us that you never want to go more than a year with a mortal sin in your soul because objectively, again, objectively, we don't know what's going on internally. If you die in mortal sin, you go right to hell, do not pass go, not collect $200. But again, all these things are just playing by the rules instead of entering into relationship. And if you've heard anything from me throughout these years is that it's not either or, it's both and. huh? Again, some people nowadays, it's just about rules. But you can follow all the rules and be an atheist. It's just that simple. We need to follow the rules because we love the God of the universe. Now, I tell people we should, you should go to confession once a month to kill your pride, to admit to another human being that I have sin and that I'm still doing it my way and to hear another person give you some advice or at least just give you absolution to tell you God cares about you and keep going. But the official teaching, that's official. It's a precept of the church, like going to Mass on Sunday is a precept of the church, and it's there to keep us going and make sure that we're doing what God wants us to do, but it's the minimum that's necessary. You know, again, God is doing everything to 
get you to heaven, but you have to cooperate with him. So the church just gives the minimum when it comes to that. Okay, let's go on. Only a couple more here. My daughter has broken all, yeah, okay, I have dealt with that. Don't drink holy water in a font with, (laughs) don't drink holy water, period. It's not to be drunk. It could be sacrilegious for you to drink holy water. Come on. Yeah, we don't, you're not allowed to have fonts anymore right now. Anyway, so we have these new great things. You put your hand under them and it uh, gives you a couple drops of holy water. It's really great, very, uh, that can't uh, pass contagion or anything. But anyway, I don't drink holy water. Okay. There are times that betrayal, ingratitude, and unkindness of loved ones whom I poured out my love and sacrifices drive me to darkness of self-pity. Is self-pity a sin? It's a great sin. Of course, it's like despair. And again, when you and I love people, that means that we do it without expectation of return. And that way, we're learning to love the way God loves. (laughs) Now, is that hard? Yes. Can it sadden us? Yes. But it shouldn't make us call self-pity because if it's self-pity, then we love people for what they will do to us or how they respond to us. And if they don't respond to us, then we feel bad. So God's calling us to a deeper way to love. So even when you're starting to feel self-pity, the way to best do that, say, Lord, I do this for their good. May I help them grow in love with you doesn't matter if they love me. May it help them grow in love with you. Now you're taking this self-pity and you're turning it into uh, sharing it with Christ on the cross. And now you're becoming more and more like God. And that's what God wants us to do. Okay? Now, let's stay here and then I'll get there. Do, 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 do. What is your favorite book, modern or classic, for promoting and maintaining hope? There are so many books that I have uh, loved. My most traditional one was uh, the one, one of the very first books I ever read when I went to seminaries, uh, written by uh, uh, Carlo Coretto. And Carlo Coretto wrote a book called uh, Letters from the Desert. And it really started talking about how, who God is. Huh? That also the book, the Red, I read again and again and again and again and again. And it's out of print right now is Love God and Do What You Please by Francis de Sales. Another book I used to read, it's a little booklet just called Confidence in God, which is still, you can get that, that's available. Confidence in God. There's a lot of things out there, but I always find that the ones that talk more about scripture and instead of their opinion is most been help, most helpful to me. Because again, sometimes... Again, I think when I was younger and I was so hard in the way I preached was all because of some of the things I had read. And I thought, oh, okay. And again, that's why it helped me a lot years ago when I was in, um, 10 years ago, I think it was, I went to ours and I talked about this before, but I went to the, I had the, the homilies of the Cure de Ars and I sat at the, right at the bottom of his podium, where uh, his place where he used to preach and I'm reading the first homily, and it was horrible because he's saying, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. I mean, you couldn't get, I think he said uh, literally 10 times, you're going to hell if you don't want to be here today. If you, I mean, it was dark. I thought, boy, I'm not strong enough. But then when I read his life, I read that when he was younger, when he first got to the parish, he would use other people's homilies, like homily service, and he'd put his own examples in there. And so, but as he got older, he would sit there and give these hard penances to people in confession and say, but don't do it. I'm going to do it for you. And he'd do these harsh penances for his penitence. That's why, like the quote that I use constantly is from St. Uh, John Vianney, the cure of ours. 
This is the glorious duty of man, that you pray and that you love. Hmm? This is the glorious duty of man, that you pray and that you love. So, I think what's most important in my life and yours is that you read many books. You know, I just got done reading a great Protestant book called, and people, some people on my Facebook says, Protestants can't say anything good to anybody because they're heretics. Well, Billy Graham brought me to the faith, and he was a heretic, but he still brought, God can use anybody. If he can use a jackass, he can use anybody, including me. But I have found most benefit from reading literally thousands of books on the spiritual life because everyone gives a different perspective on the same truth. And then it helps me get to understand God better. So I never, ever, ever spend time and just use one book because it's only one person's perspective, except, of course, from the scriptures. But even the scriptures, God used different people to give a different perspective of truth. That's why we don't have just one gospel, but we have four. Each one takes a different perspective of looking at Jesus and how he said things and how he did things. He did it on purpose. So in our life, we must have many books that we have read, many uh, saints that we have read, many different authors on Christianity to give us the insight, a deeper insight to the great mystery of God because nobody, even all the books, do not give us the fullness of who God is. And one book, except for the Holy Word of God, will ever give us the fullness of who God is. So it's so important that we read many, many different saints, many, many different Christians, many, many different perspectives because it's all a mystery and it's helping us touch the mystery in different ways. Okay? I hope that helps. Okay, I am going to be saying Mass in the morning very briefly tomorrow at 7 o'clock, and then I have to drive to Pittsburgh, because I, uh, which will get me there hopefully by quarter to 10, and then I board my plane at 10.02, and then I'm going to be in Travis City this weekend live. I'm going to encourage you, to, if you're a man up in that area, come to the men's conference. It's just the morning from 9 to 12, because uh, I have to fly back at uh, that afternoon. Uh, and so, again, and then I'm going to be here for the next couple weeks, so that should be uh, helpful those of you who watch uh, the daily mass okay tonight we have adoration at 7 p.m to 8 p.m it's live so you just come to the uh, my uh, youtube channel and you'll be able to watch that tonight at seven o'clock the lord be with you may almighty god bless keep and protect you he who is father and son and holy spirit amen god bless you 